Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. A massive thank you to however you are listening to this. Before we start, just a reminder that we record this podcast three times a week, but we're not always sure which days it will be. So the only way to stay on top of it all and keep your finger on the pulse is to subscribe and get notifications. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Right, enough of that. Let's talk some rugby. Ben James. I'm joined by Simon Thomas today. Um, the World Cup is most definitely on now and we've got some rugby to talk about. It's first, a nice feeling. First podcast since the actual tournament started. I've been involved in my little friend's been doing a few of them and I've been away and doing other business and uh, yeah we're a few games into it now and so far I've thoroughly enjoyed it I have to say. Well that's it. It's, it's been a lot of good games isn't it? We've seen one of them this morning which we'll touch upon uh, later yeah. but let's Let's start from a Welsh perspective. Obviously, <coughs> Warren Gatland named the team this morning to uh, face Georgia. Mm. I suppose no real surprises in terms of what we knew was coming. We knew that Aaron Wainwright was going to get the nod in the back row, but I suppose who, who missed out was probably more the, the story, wasn't it? Yeah, it had been, you know, the talk of the town that Aaron was going to start. And I think, you know, you can certainly justify that. He was the form player for Wales during the summer warm-up programme, deserved his selection and based on the way he's played in those games. And if he was going to start, it was a question of which one of the Grand Slam back row trio was going to miss out, Moriarty, Tiberik and Navidi. Um, various ways it could have been done, but in the end, it's um, Ross Moriarty, who's um, the one who's consigned to bench duty, which means Josh Navidi moving to eight, where he's you know got a lot of experience, played there a fair bit for, for the Cardiff Blues and also done a job there for Wales, and Tiberik at seven. So... Why have they gone that way? Well, I mean, I think, as I say, Wainwright's um, dynamism and his um, incredible work rate this summer, I think, you know, was demanding of selection. We, we had Robin McBride this week. You know, you, you can tell how much the Wales merit him and how much they value him and think of him. You know, they talked about him as uh, someone who, you know, reminded him, not just reminded him of Sam Warburton, but he said he could actually feel, become better than Sam Warburton, which is due praise indeed. So he was clearly penciled in to start. And then it's a question of who, you know, looking at the others available. And, you know, Ross Moriarty, on the on the face of it, you know, he's the he's the bulkiest uh, person in the back row contingent. You would see him essentially in theory is like the, the aggressive ball carrier and an aggressive defender as well but hasn't really fired during the summer in terms of limited headway in um, in terms of going forward uh, and what you do know about uh, Navidi a couple of things he always punches above his weight in terms of his size with his dynamic you know forceful carrying he, he, just, he just doesn't like being stopped when he's got the ball the, uh, the, the, the man with the dreadlocks and um, what I also think has probably edged him into the side is that he's one of the most effective Welsh players in terms of the clearing out of the, at the at the breakdown. And I think that's going to be very important against uh, Georgia, who will who will want to slow and spoil and and bring the pace of the game down. Um, you know, to negate Wales' superior fitness. So I think it'd be a key thing um, obtaining quick ball, both to tire out the Georgians with the pace of the game, and also to give Dan Bigger the ammunition to sort of uh, unleash the strike runners. Because I think Wales do have a superiority behind if you look at the sides. So I think Navidi as a key role there and also in terms of his work over the ball defensively as a spoiler in a stealer and does give Wales um, a couple of kind of jackals in the back row which then you can say compensates for the fact that you, you're not you're losing one in the front row yep. because we all know Nicky Smith is excellent over the ball but we're starting with Wynne Jones um, and the, the key there I think if you look at the summer the first three games uh, in the warm-ups 
let's be honest, Wales were poor in the scrum. Um, it contributed heavily to the defeat in Twickenham, also the home defeat to Ireland. We, we creaked, we were shoved backwards. It was an alarming sight, really. Um, and what we did see in the final game against Dublin, in Dublin against um, Ireland, the return match, there was an improvement in the scrum. It was, it was shored up to a certain degree. And that coincided with Wynne Jones starting at Lucid. He, I think he probably is the strongest scrimmager technically in terms of the they, Lucid They've options. said that themselves um, in the world camp, you know, haven't they? Yeah, they have. You know, and with Rob Evans not there for a surprise inclusion, it came down to, to Nicky Smith and Wynne Jones with, with Rhys Carey probably you know, in reserve for the Uruguay game. And I think Wynne Jones is scrimmaging and, he, and his work rate in the Lucid has got him the nod. So that's the team. Absolutely. Um, we'll touch back on Moriarty because... I suppose Aaron Wainwright deserves his place, but is there an element of this being sort of a way of putting a, a rocket sort of uh, beneath um, Ross Moriarty? You know, after the Falatau injury, he was sort of talked up as Wales' mm. only number eight, and he is indeed the sort of only number eight specialist in the squad. Is it a case that maybe they think he's been resting on his laurels during the warm-ups and, and this is a way of maybe firing up for Australia? Well, I think it's fair to say he had a very good Six Nations. I mean, you know, he, he contributed significantly to that in terms of his carrying and also, you know, really aggressive defence he puts in. And he probably hasn't been at his best this summer. Now, what we don't know, is this, the, is this in Gatlin's head also the team to play against Australia? Or is this partially a team with a couple of tinkers here and there, a tink, tink, bit of tinkering here and there, to possibly usually suggest send a rocket up some people and see if they respond. It'll be interesting to see. I would imagine Moriarty will get a good half hour off the bench, and you would hope that he would come on like a man possessed, really, and sort of say, you know, hang on, what's going on? I'm the Grand Slam number eight. Um, so it could be a psychological thing, but I think probably on form at the moment, it's probably the right starting back three, uh, back row rather. Obviously, there's no no real sort of selection issues uh, in the. Backs, uh, that's pretty much as you'd yeah, expect. Just Lee Halfpenny on the bench is the one. Yeah, I was going to say the for. bench was is sort of quite interesting, isn't it? Well, because they've tended over the last year to have um, Owen Watkin as the outside back cover, um, but this time perhaps maybe the, the element that you haven't got Anscombe in the twenty-three, and Anscombe if, if uh, there was an injury in the back three, um, well, we I think we, you know we've seen it in the past where Bigger has come on at ten, Anscombe's gone moved from ten to full back. With him out of the equation, he probably wanted a, you know, a specialist back three man on the bench um, rather than a centre. So I think that's where Halfpenny has come in and you know a really safe pair of hands to come on in any circumstance in the back three. can slot in wing uh, or full-back and can also obviously take over the goal-kicking duties if there's any issue with Dan Bigger. So yeah, it's, um, it's a selection that does make sense. And it's good also to see Rhys Patchell in the 23, you know, came off with another HIA incident um, last time out for Wales. So, yeah, it's encouraging to see that uh, he's been past fit and he's going to provide the, uh, you know, very assured fly half cover to Daniel Bigger. Is that maybe the selection of Halfpenny to complement Rhys Patchell on the bench? Obviously, if they bring Rhys Patchell on, say, 60 minutes for Dan Bigger... Mm. Would it be a case and they bring on Halfpenny to, to add that goal kick in? I think it's probably more that if you look at it, um, they would want a specialist back three man. Obviously, Patchell you can could have done off. that. You could have gone Patchell and, and Owen Watkin. I don't think they'd have probably wanted Patchell covering both 10 and 15. So I think, yeah, they've gone for experience. I mean, that's a, we haven't touched on that, have we? Of course, they've got experience there in Halfpenny, and that does seem to be, aside from Wainwright, ironically enough, experience is very much the mantra with this team selection. We're told that it's the, the oldest Wales team um, to 
uh, take part in a World Cup match, average age of 28, um, a little bit um, older than the team played against Japan, I think it was in 2007. So yeah, experience, World Cup experience. Some like 10 of the starting lineup, I think, have uh, played in World Cups before. Around about that, Mark. A lot of the players know what the tournament is like. Yeah, so uh, it fits in with that theme of having as much experience as, as you can get out there in the 23. I can only think of five who haven't, so that would that would add up, that would tally up. I think I read it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Off the top of my head, Hadley Parks, Josh Adams, um, Wynne Jake Jones. Ball. Did Dutch Ball play in the last He World would have Cup. played. Um, mm. Navidi and Wainwright. Yeah, so it is an experience, 23, and uh, that is important in tournaments like this. And it's, you know, they're all core members of the squad. It's, I mean, probably if you look at it, Wynne Jones and Wainwright are the kind of the newish ones, yeah. in, in the, certainly in the match day 23. But again, they've deserved their places. So even the guys who haven't played in World Cups before, like Hadley Parks and mm. Josh Navidi, well, Hadley Parks is one of the old heads of the squad. Oh, it's isn't a seasoned it? team now. It's a seasoned team, yeah. and you would hope that they will uh, certainly be able to do a job, an accomplished professional job on Georgia. Tell you what, that's, um, we've discussed it a little bit, but let's, uh, let's hear what it's like uh, out in Japan. Let's get the re- reaction from Matthew Southcombe on the Wales team. I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Okay, I'm joined now by Matthew Southcombe out in Japan. Matt, you've been uh, at the press conference this morning. What was the general vibe there then? Well, obviously it was the afternoon here, Benjamin. It's confusing enough as it is, so let's get that one out of the way. Um, yeah, it was um, just the general vibe really. Is it? They just want to get started now, Wales. I mean, Warren Gatlin has seen us three times in a week, which is unheard of, you know. And we'd be getting sick of the sight of each other before long. But, you know, they just want to get on with the rugby now and, and start talking about the rugby. Obviously, there's been a lot gone on this week, um, as we've covered in, in detail across all our platforms and, and as has every other newspaper. So, you know, I think the general vibe really is they're just desperate for Monday to come. You know, it, it makes things worse that they're pretty much the last team to get going in this World Cup. And, um, yeah, I think they're just keen now for, for the talk of, of all this off-field scandal and controversy to be put on hold for the time being. Uh, and focus on on the job at hand, and that's trying to win a World Cup. Obviously, sort of the main talking points from this team selection were uh, Aaron Wainwright being picked. Uh, what, what did Warren Gatlin have to say on, on him? Yeah, so obviously we brought you the, the, the news earlier this week that Aaron Wainwright was set to start, and, and Ross Moriarty has missed out, and um, you know, that's a big call there, and from the off really, and it says a lot about. Aaron Wainwright and how he's thought of it among the squad and, and the management. You know, we've seen um, Robin McBride compare him to, to Sam Warburton earlier this week, and uh, there was more praise for Wainwright again today. You know, Warren Gatland uh, was singing his praises. Alan Wynne Jones, in particular, was um, was bigging him up. Uh, you know, saying you don't have to tell him twice, and and that's the mark of, of a man who's, who's going to go far in the game. And and on a similar theme, Warren Gatland said there's only is only going to be an upward curve for him moving forward uh, in terms of his potential. So, you know, they, they were keen to big him up. Justin Tipperick as well approved uh, McBride's sort of comparison between Wainwright and former Wales captain Sam Warburton, um, who's obviously, you know, Tipperick, obviously someone who's played with both uh, and competed for the same jersey as Warburton for many years. So, you know, they, they're bigging up Aaron Wainwright. You know, he's come a long way. His story is well told by this point. Um, obviously, five years ago, was in Cardiff City Football Club's academy, and and now look at him—he's he's on the verge of a Rugby World Cup debut. 
um, something like 12 caps in the last 12 months. And, you know, th- this is just the latest step in, in what's uh, becoming a, a remarkable story. It has been uh, an incredible rise. Uh, I suppose the other story to come out of this team selection was in the front row. Uh, Win Jones getting the nod ahead of Nicky Smith at Loosehead. Um, was there much discussion on on that point? Yeah, I guess, I guess uh, what Warren Gatland highlighted was that, um, you know, we all know what Georgia are bringing. It's going to be a massive, you know, their game is going to be built around their scrum. Uh, and, and if Wales do come up second best there, um, then, it, then it could cause them some real problems elsewhere on the field. So Wynne Jones has been picked for a scrummage in. Warren Gatland suggested as much in his press conference. And um, they said they've been very impressed with the way he's been going uh, in training. Um, you know, he won't give you what Nicky Smith does around the field quite as much. And, and they may look to Nicky Smith to come in for that Australia game where his work at the breakdown is going to come in very handy. So, um, yeah, Wynne Jones gets a nod here and, and it is largely because of his scrummaging prowess um, just to make sure that that platform is there uh, for the Welsh backs to, to do their job because really this game, and I hate to use a cliche, is going to be won and lost up front. Um, I know that you've got a couple of uh, statistics up your sleeve uh, that you were tweeting out earlier, which, uh, which are quite interesting, aren't they? Yeah, we've uh, we've been uh, looking around and, and getting some statistics up um, up our sleeves, as you said. This is obvious. You see my Twitter timeline, Ben. I'm sure you've seen it. This is the um, the, the oldest Wales starting fifteen that has ever been named in a World Cup match. Um, I think it's something like 28, 28 years, three hundred and thirty-one days, off the top of my head. And and Warren Gatland touched on that. He said, "Look, it's no, it's no." Um, it's no coincidence that we've got to this point. You know, they've they've worked not just in the last four years, but you know, a lot of this squad were here in 2011. This this group has been together for a very long time now, and um, you know, there was a few jokes in there because it was Alan Jones's birthday this week, so there's a little joke about him bumping up the average. And I mean, one thing to note as well is that 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 statistic is bearing in mind that Aaron Wainwright is only 21. So whilst Alan Wynn might be bumping up the average. Uh, Aaron Wainwright is doing his bit to drag it down. So, you know, it's a massively experienced squad now. We know this. And, and as I said, this is, this is not a coincidence. This is something that they've worked on over the years um, to make sure that they get to a point where they, they feel this squad can, has the experience to go to a World Cup and, and cause some real damage. I suppose it's probably even more astounding when you consider that the, the next oldest uh, start in 15 in a World Cup was um, against Japan was it 12 years ago 2007 I think it's 80 days per man older than that one and, and that was largely a sort of mix and match team so the fact yeah. that we put out a strong team and, and it's got that experience is, is quite telling isn't it yeah and it speaks to how settled this squad is as well you know it's whilst it's got a clearly defined start in 15 uh, you wouldn't really have many qualms about dropping in and making a few changes here or there if you had to. Um, you know, like I said, this squad has been built up not over just the, the last four years, but, I mean, you know, like I said, you can go back to 2011 and a lot of this squad were there then, you know, and um, what they have done though, what Warren Gatland has done particularly well in the last two years is really bring through those youngsters. Like I said, Aaron Wainwright has got 12 caps in a year or just over a year, sorry, and, you know, people like Elliot D. Dylan Lewis, you know, they, they've got now a surprising amount of caps. Um, so, so this squad is is very mature, uh, not only in age but in experience as well. And and like you said, you know, when you come to these big games and and this World Cup environment, having players around who've been there and done it, 
you know, there's a lot of pressure placed on players at these tournaments, particularly away from the field. We've seen the side having to go out to do community visits. Um, they have to do a remarkable amount of work with us in the media that they don't normally have to do. Um, so there's a lot of demands placed on them outside of just doing their job. So how that gets managed, you know, the, the experienced heads in the squad will be making sure the youngsters know exactly how to manage all this. Um, but if you've been there and done it a couple of times, it certainly helps. And, and there are plenty of players in this Wales squad who have certainly been there and done it. Well, none more so than Alan Wynne-Jones. Um, and he'll uh, match Gethin Jenkins' record of uh, Capital Wales this weekend, won't he? He will, yeah. And I mean... Uh, this is, you know, it's the latest of a, a long sort of string of records that Alan Wynne-Jones has uh, obtained over the years. And every time you try and ask him about it, he won't go anywhere near it. He, um, he never likes, he always says he never likes to look at the records and things until he's retired. Um, but we did manage to get a few quotes out of him on this one because it is a phenomenal achievement. And I think this one in particular means a lot to him because it's about Wales. He will become against Australia, you know, barring a, a disaster or an injury, he will become the most capped Welsh rugby player in history. And, and that's not to be sniffed at. And as a proud Welshman as Alan Wynne-Jones is, you know, that, that's a huge honour. And, and he deserves, as Warren Gatlin said, all the accolades and all, all, all the sort of uh, compliments that come his way because he's been a fantastic ambassador for Welsh rugby over the years and a, and a great leader for this squad as well. And, you know, he's somebody that they all fall in behind and, and really gets the team going. So, you know, leads with his actions and, that, and that's the most effective form of leadership and yeah he's, he's well worthy of, of, of such a, a phenomenal accolade I suppose finally before you go um, this is the last podcast we'll do before the match mm. so you probably know where I'm going with this one um, <laughs> time to put your neck on the line I think innit? and uh, give us a prediction yeah I mean it's always a risky one when, when they've had a build up like this because you've there's always something in the back of your mind that thinks you just don't quite know how this is going to go. You know, it's been a really difficult week for the squad. Um, the, the Royal Powley news has really affected a lot of people, particularly on the management team, who um, a lot of them have grown, you know, really close personal relationships. A lot of them have, were playing with Rob Howley 20 odd years ago for Wales as well. So it's been difficult, but from a player's perspective, they're on autopilot now. They know what they've got to do. These game plans have been in place for such a long time. I really don't know that, that the Rob Howley news will will have rocked them to, to the extent that it begins to negatively affect performance. Um, if anything, I think it'll have a galvanising effect on the squad. A few of them have mentioned this week that it's a, a little bit similar to when the regional rugby crisis blew up during the Six Nations, you know? Um Wales seem to be at their best when their backs are against the wall and, and if anything this will have just sharpened their focus and, and, and narrowed their minds and look let's face facts Wales, Wales should be beating Georgia they, they've got a, a first choice 15 out there, there are really no excuses this, this has to be a win and, and preferably a comfortable one and, and anything short of that really won't really cut it um, I certainly don't see Wales losing this game I, I really think you know everything we've heard is is that this is since the Howley news broke that the training has been particularly spicy. There's a real focus among the group, um, and I just fancy Wales to really do some damage on the weekend. You know, um, I think they're well prepared. They they know what's coming from Georgia and they know how to handle it. And, and I just don't see I don't see them slipping up here. So I, I'd go for a comfortable uh, Wales victory, and I I wouldn't put a bonus point past them either. Do we think the bonus points? 
will particularly matter in this group? Are we expecting it to come down to that? Or are we expecting Wales and Australia? Well, Australia have already seen North Fiji now. And are we expecting Wales to do the same? And then it's a, it's a two-horse race. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think bonus points should play a role in this group. I think you've got two teams that are clearly defined as, as the stronger teams in, in the pool. Um, you know, Fiji could throw spanners in the works, but, you know, we saw we saw Australia um, do a job on them in the end um, uh, this afternoon out here in Japan. So I don't think bonus points are going to come into it, but look, it always helps to get them in the back pocket, doesn't it? So, you know, I, I'd envisage Georgia being really tricky opponents for the first half hour, um, probably up until half time actually, but... Uh, the conditions are quite are going to be quite humid. It's going to be warm in the day, but cooling off by the time that they play. But it'll still be humid. I just think Wales are in better shape, and and I can just see them really um, cutting loose in the second half. Well, there we go. Uh, thanks for that, Matt. Um, I'm sure we'll hear from you some point next week. Okay, so that's what uh, Matt had to say out in Japan. Sounds like he's uh, doing well out there. He's not, not not too fatigued by the sound of it, which is probably quite surprising after the week he's had. Uh, let's let's look ahead or look back, rather, on the match that was this morning. Uh, Australia against Fiji. Yes. Obviously, a vested interest for us from a Welsh point of view, but it was also just quite a great game, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought it was an excellent game. Um, I was... Um talking on Radio Wales uh, on Friday night with David James former Wales and British Lions uh, at Wing Centre and we were talking he said looking at the way those two teams play it could be a 45-44 game well it wasn't quite like that but it was pretty high scoring and it was uh, a real roller coaster ride because I would imagine there were a lot of very nervous Wallaby supporters for around an hour of that game I think at one point it was 21-12 to Fiji yep um, they came absolutely flying out of the box with you know some. I think uh, Michael Checker, the Australian coach, said afterwards that he said, "You know, you're going to get fury from the Fijians," and that's what you certainly got in that opening. Uh, certainly, opening half hour, they were they were absolutely rampant during that period. Um, it, very interesting what they'd done. They'd played Randrada, um, the centre. I've got a lot of time for you. One of the best centres in the world, I think. They'd selected him on the wing, which has you know raised a few eyebrows. But it was a you know tactically, it was a it was a very astute move because what they decided to do, they had Tuivasa and Randrada on the wings, and the focus went away from sort of looking to sort of use their power in midfield, but looking to use it in the wider channels, and it paid dividends. I mean, Reese Hodge um, on the wing for Australia I mean he must have trample marks yeah. all over him I mean the first uh, Fijian try um, to us over well just sat him down dispatched him to the deck and a bit of interplay and Bekeliato who was outstanding enough until he got injured their open side flanker big for an open side he scored a, a really well worked try which, uh, which actually came off a loose kick from Nick White the Australian scrum up so it was a combination of all the things you don't want to do against Fiji you don't want to kick loosely against them and you don't want to miss your tackles and let them behind you and that's what Australia did and they found themselves behind 14-12 at half time you thought oh you know, Australia will pull away quite easily well Fiji extended their lead because what they were also doing as well as using their you know, powerful carriers out wide 
they were also using their power in terms of yeah, their defense. getting in the faces of the Australians with their attacking, uh, with their absolute sort of bone-shaking tackling, with a body of the centre leading the way. Uh, he put some huge hits in. And it was that kind of defensive pressure in the face of the Aussies. I think maybe they'd forced um, a loose pass from Karevi, the centre. Ball went to ground. Fijian centre picked up, ran half the length of the field, and all of a sudden it's 21-12, and it's nervous time for the Wallabies. And it was telling, for all the talk we have of the attacking threat of the Wallabies of Australia behind, it was actually a back-to-basics approach that won them the game. They had the scrum dominance already, which they delivered their first try in terms of a platform. And then around the hour mark, they really decided to go up the jumper tactics and focused on the line-out mauling, driving them all. And they presented two tries in, in five minutes for their hooker. Um, in the middle of those, there was a yellow card for serial offences from the under-pressure for GMs who were giving away all, all penalties. And that, really, that period turned the game. And in the end, Australia pulled you know, reasonably well clear, 139-20. But it was a fright for them. Yep. It was a scare, and it was a, also a wake-up call for Wales in various different ways. It was. Um, you, you've listed quite a lot of them there, so it's sort of a case of uh, finding the one to start with. And I think we'll start with. You talked about how sort of Fiji attacked. Um, this will be one that I think Sean. It's a, it's a challenge that I think Sean Edwards will be bang up for, won't it? Because yeah. you, you look at the way they're carrying you know, the big carries. Um, with all these new initiatives in, to- in terms of tackle or you have to go low yeah, and, and that sort of suits the Fijians because you know they're all sort of knees and hips and they can also offload so yeah it's, 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 it's a real thing I mean I think I come back to what I said a little while about the kicking game the one thing you don't want to do against them is kick, kick loosely loose. if you are going to kick you've got to kick accurately and there's got to be a really really you know, concerted, well-timed uh, kick chase so that you don't allow the receiver any time to run and roam because if you do that, you're in trouble. Um, and I think the other thing is you've got to make your first up tackles. It really is as simple as that. But I suppose a lot of it as well is starving them of ball at source uh, in the second half. I mean, admittedly with the Fijians, as we often sometimes do see, the fitness was flagging a little bit. They were getting tired under pressure. But Australia just kept the ball kept the ball for long periods, uh, kept it amongst the forwards, played very basic game. And then once they got the noses in front of, you know, a reasonable lead, uh, the gap started to appear out wide and they added a couple of tries um, in through the backs, you know. So, yeah, you've got to really stop the Fijians at source. I mean, you only have to go back to that 2007 World Cup game where Wales ended up playing into their hands, it became like basketball seven-styles style, seven rugby. And if you allow it to get like that, you've added against them. So, you know, the template is there for how to play against the Fijians and how not to play yeah. against the Fijians. I suppose where Wales are in terms of game plan, we're probably well, we're probably ideally suited for that, aren't we? Um, the line-out functions well and we'll yeah. probably look to do that. We tend to keep the ball in field on kicks, but yeah. you imagine that bigger will either... Look for look for the sort of the touch lines or put it up to compete. Yeah, I think it'll be kicks to compete. I think you're right. It'll be a lot of bringing the ball down, working the lineup malls. May not lead to tries, but can lead to possession, lead to other penalties. Because they were in discipline today, the Fijians. Yeah. I think they gave away twelve or thirteen penalties, but a lot of them in a in a concerted period in the second half where the game was going away from them. Um, they were actually very effective in terms of contesting over the ball. They won 12 turnovers, I think 12 or 14, around about that mark, turnovers with their fullback, particularly effective as a jackal. Um, so they were good at it, but there were also occasions where they just 
lost a bit of patience yeah. in the breakdown and would go off their feet. And in particular, they were coming into the side of the malls under pressure. They didn't really have an answer to Australia's. It was a very well-organised rolling mall, in, fa- in fairness, with Latu at the base of it both times. Um, but it does show that if you put them under concerted pressure, and if you look at the way Wills play, a lot of it is picking up, picking up, picking up, picking up, without their best, physical best, put real physical pressure on the opposition You know, in a, in a tight area. Penalties will come. Big will knock them over or Halfpenny will knock them over. You get ahead, you get a foothold, you keep the, the screw on. But of course, the question is, can Wales do to the Fijian scrum what Australia did? I was literally about to ask that because, you know, we, we, we look at the Wales scrum as not being great. The Fijian one was, I saw it described on Twitter as porridge, which I've never heard a, a scrum be described as, but I, I can't imagine it's good. Well, they went backwards and upwards at the same time, which takes some doing. The hooker in particular one took, time took uh, unwanted flying lessons. Uh, they were just buckling and careering in all shapes and sizes. And I suppose more than thinking about can Wales do that to Fiji, my immediate concern is Wales. Can Wales live with that against Australia? Because they were yeah. ve- they were they were a very efficient scrum in the rugby championship. The Wallabies, hundred uh, percent in that department, and they looked. And they've carried that into the World Cup, and they were absolutely dominant. They Scott Co. I really rate as a loose said, he was causing absolute havoc to the Fijian scrum and uh, yeah Wales I mean I'm sure they will have kept on working in the scrum trying to sort it out and it's going to be a major challenge for them uh, week tomorrow isn't it it's in, in Tokyo so, yeah uh, that's it you know, yeah it's a bit it, that's a, that's going to be a key area of the game because we, we've talked about sort of how we're going to take on Fiji but we've got to worry about Australia before Fiji and um, of, of, apart from the scrum what else would we have learned yeah um, well we've learned that if you know they do have as we talked before they have you know two dangerous run particularly dangerous runners behind ironically enough both Fijian uh, Karabetti and Karevi were their two main carriers they made over 200 metres between them today um if you give them space, I mean, Karabati, I mean, I, I didn't realise until watching that today just how quick he is. Um, you know, extra rugby league player, I believe, you know, and um, he is just, uh, you know, blisteringly quick, but an absolute physical specimen as well. So he's, he takes some stopping. Um, and Karevi, we know about a world-class player. Um, he, you know, again, if you give him a yard, he'll go through you, go around you. So, yeah, those are big threats. And the other guy you've got a shackle as a carrier is Michael Hooper. Um, he's an interesting character. I remember standing next to him because he made his debut against Wales. I think it was maybe seven. He's almost got 100 caps now virtually and it's yeah. only about seven yeah, has, years yeah. ago. And I stood next to him when we was doing interviews. And he, he was smaller than me. He's not, you know, everyone's, everyone's smaller than me now. He's like, he's he one of big lads, you know, but I tell you what, for his size, what a carrier he is. And he's got this ability to sort of carry the boat at such a low angle so low to the ground almost sniffing the turf and his try today which you know got them into the game that was a classic example took the ball 10 metres out no real right to score the try but two or three Fijians around him but he just went underneath went underneath Campisi Mafu ex-Cardiff Blues prop and he just couldn't get a grasp on him and he just kept on going low to the ground and uh, forced his way over and I think he carried for over 60 metres you know he's something like 18 carries upfield he's you know he it's interesting. You don't often see a seven no. as such a major carrier, but the way they work it is he does that kind of role, while David Pocock does a lot of the breakdown work and a lot of the defensive work, you know, and, and a Serini then is a ball carrier as well and a, an athlete at eight. So, yeah, you, you, clear attacking strengths. Um, and I think 
also you, you've got to say really that they were quite efficient in, in attack today they weren't you know it wasn't thrilling but you know they went for the juggler when it mattered yeah okay um, I think that's Australia put to bed uh, obviously this is the last podcast before the Georgia game um, we touched on the Wales team what do we think is going to happen on Monday then I think Wales will win. I'd hope they'd win with a bonus point. I think, as I say, the key will be preventing Georgia from dragging the game into an arm wrestle. You know, we know that that is uh, something they would enjoy with their own wrestling background in Georgia. They'll want it to become you know, messy and, you know, sort of niggly and just physical. If you think back to the game in Cardiff when we played Georgia, admittedly not with our first string team, that's what they did, you know. Yeah. And they got on top of us in the scrum Um They'll want to make it very sort of awkward for us to get any temper to our game. So I think, you know, setting a stall out early, quick ball, using your strike runners early to set a stall out, that would be important. Um, I'd really want to see the scrum looking solid. I think that's important, not just for this game, but for the Australian game coming up afterwards. Uh, Lineup's been a strength. And I'm interested to see, you know, how much they're going to give away Wales. Because it was interesting, Gatland has talked about you probably won't see the same game plan for Georgia and Australia. Sounds like the Aces are being kept very much yep. up their sleeve for the Wallabies game. So there's a plan for this one. There's a plan for the Wallabies game. Hopefully the plan for this one is get on top early, grind away, deny them the opportunity to get into the game and have the game won by an hour. And then you can rest key players and bring other players on and need the opportunity. It's Funny, obviously talking about the scrum, that's going to be a massive part of this and that's why Wynne Jones is starting. Our colleague Mark Orders, um, I think he anecdotally remembered that the last time Georgia were in Cardiff, obviously they, well, they very nearly won the game, didn't they? Sort of mm. last minute sort of penalty and they were on top all afternoon. But he seems to remember that Leon Brown got pinged a few times. I think Thomas Francis had a few go against him. Um, whoever was loose head that day, I can't quite remember. But he seems to remember that Wynne Jones came off the bench and actually won a penalty. Hmm. Which I, mean, I think Wynne Jones counts a fair bit. To be honest, I mean, Wynne has never let Wales down. And, you know, he is, it's mainly been a, a subs role he's, he's taken yep. on. Um, it's interesting because when I was looking at the team that's been selected, you've got an inspiring, you know, remarkable story with, with Wainwright, you know, who, who only took up rugby four years ago, joined Whitehead's club in Newport, having, you know, focused on football for the early part of his uh, teenage years. Then goes to Cardiff Met and was still playing for them two years ago. Two years ago, he hadn't played a game of senior uh, first-class rugby. He hadn't played a game for the Dragons. So that's a remarkable and inspiring story. I think, in a way, Wynne Jones is as well. Yeah. This is a man who trod the boards for a number of years at premiership level at Landovery. And those people will, who feel that you know, the premiership you know, gets you know, a, a hard press sometimes will point to the fact, well, this is a guy who learned his trade there. You know, and he's come through, waited his opportunity be behind Rob Evans at, at the uh, Scarlet. He's come through and he's just a really hard worker and someone who's worked clearly really sort of grafted away at his trade as a scrummager. Um, I was impressed with him in the, in the summer, not just his scrummaging, but he, you know, he's very good over the ball as well. He's not as effective as Nicky Smith in just winning terms, but he spoils quite well there as well. He puts his tackles in, real worker, and a bit of an unsung hero, I think. You know, he's become in that squad. And this, well, this is the biggest game of his life now, isn't it? Because yep. if he plays well in this one, he's in. He, he'll stay. He'll stay there, won't he? Yeah. You know, I would have thought. A massive opportunity for him. Um, somehow we haven't we haven't mentioned it in this podcast. Almost incredibly, obviously, it's a big. It's been a big week for Wales. Mm. Um, and as much as we're sort of wondering what sort of 
reaction and game plan we'll see from Wales in that sense. It's also what sort of emotional reaction we'll probably see and, and, and how they react to the Rob Howley news. I think if you look at any squad, um, this one probably more than anything, or this management team and this whole Wales setup is almost made to deal with adversity. I mean, you've seen it in the past. They almost use it as a strength. Um, I think back to the Six Nations this year, where you had the absolute chaos and carnage of the, the Scarlets and the Ospreys merger taking place in the week leading up to Wales's game against Scotland in Murrayfield, you know, how they kept it together in that week. But they did. And they, I think they've got an ability to, you know, I think they used the phrase themselves this week, circle the wagons, yeah. you know, and almost create a kind of siege mentality, you know, whatever's there, anybody saying out there, this is us, yeah, in camp, this is for us, you know. And there'll be an element of saying, you know, they'll want to put a put good performance in for Rob Howley as well. I mean, whatever's happened, you know, Rob's been a huge part of that for for 11 years and, you know, um, has contributed, hugely valuable Warren Gatlin. Yeah. He's contributed to Grand Slams and Six Nations, taking him on Lions tours. They'll want to do well for him. Um, but I do think it's also been, you know, they've been fortunate to be able to turn to someone like Stephen Jones to come in. And people are saying, oh, he'll come in now and it'll be a different one. There'll be more flair, it'll be the Scarlet style. Yeah, he'll be a I mean, he's got a few days. He's going to be, what he's going to be doing, he's going to be facilitating the plans that are in place, you know. But what he will do more importantly than that, and I've said this to you before, Stephen Jones was put on this earth to make people feel good about themselves, feel good about life, feel good about rugby. He's just one of those really upbeat characters. Yeah. And he is the perfect person to come in when thing, there's a bit of a cloud over the camp, things are a bit sort of gloomy and people are a bit shell-shocked. He will come in and he'll just brighten the place up. He's that kind of personality. And also there's a lot of Scarlet's backs in that um, three-quarter line in the back division who know him well. He's hugely respected and uh, he'll fit in. And uh, yeah, but as I say, it'll largely be about him sort of aiding and oiling the machine that's already yeah, in place. Absolutely. Um, probably won't see the benefits of that, particularly on Monday, but we might next week. But as we say, Monday is the priority. That's the focus. Wales against Georgia. You can catch all of that coverage on Wales Online. Okay.